try as I may, I could never explain what I hear when you don't say Hello, everyone, and welcome to Intersections Matches Talk Radio, a show for people who resonate with Mahatma Gandhi's quote, learn like you're going to live forever, live like you're going to die tomorrow. This is Justina, your host and the founder of Intersections Match, a global post-size matchmaking and coaching company for successful and commitment-minded singles. I'm very excited to welcome to today's show, Dr. Rajiv Fernando. Dr. Fernando has been recognized as one of America's top doctors in New York for the special. Uh, if you can lower the volume. Sorry, guys. Just Since, sorry. Since Go ahead. 2014. That's okay. What I'm going to do is I am going to. I'm going to just going to start over there again. Um, I'm very excited to welcome to today's show, Dr. Rajiv Fernando. <laughs> Dr. Fernando has been recognized as one of America's top doctors in New York for the specialty of infectious disease since 2014. He formerly worked with Doctors Without Borders and runs a charity on behalf of his parents called Chiraj, the goal of which is women's empowerment. Chiraj has responded to the pandemic by donating masks globally via its impactful Mask Up Earth campaign. It's a pleasure to have you, Dr. Fernando. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Jaspina. And uh, that was a very generous introduction, probably something I don't deserve. But thank you very much for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you. And let's start with, tell us about Chiraj. Uh, what um, what initiatives has it uh, spearheaded throughout the years? Women's empowerment is a, uh, is a lofty goal. And I'd love to hear um, some of the different initiatives. Sure, sure. Uh, Chiraj is, uh, like you mentioned before, uh, the name comes from uh, my parents, uh, Chitra and Raj, so it's called Chiraj. Uh, essentially, it's an organization that I, I founded myself. So I'm the CEO. I'm also the person who sends out the mail, things like that. It's, it's really a one-man project, which has now evolved to uh, three. But it's a project wow. that it's self-funded. Um, you know, it's, uh, I do a lot of overtime to keep the project going. And like you said, it's really to empower women around the world. And that's what my, my focus is. Wonderful. Well, let's switch gears to the pandemic. Um, you know, and yeah. I understand that you were in China. Um, January 2019, actually, if I think back to January 2019, my gosh, like right night and day from, <laughs> from the world today. And uh, so that was before the pandemic, you know, really took off, actually, before we realized what it was going to become. And so I'd love to hear you tell us about that. What was it like being on the ground in China in uh, January? Of, of course, uh, as an infectious disease doctor, I, uh, of course, we're all nerds. We read a lot and, uh, <laughs> you know, to see to see what's going on. Uh, but uh-huh. uh, it, what I usually like to do uh, is really, I read a lot, but I also like to go down to the ground myself and investigate and give my own thoughts to, uh, you know, what I think is really going on over here. Of course, I feel mm-hmm. a picture is worth a thousand words. So when I heard about this outbreak that was happening uh, uh, end of December, 
I realized that something big was going to happen uh, in January. Um, so I decided to go down this ris- respiratory illness, which is really coming from, you know, uh, a wet market. Uh, for our listeners to define what a wet market is, is really uh, a market which has uh, animals, which are things like bats, um, you know, uh, kivet cats, all kinds of mm-hmm. mixes. And the interesting thing is all these animals are put into one cage. So you're seeing bats, snakes, um, uh, kivet cats all together. And this actually poses a mm. unique opportunity for uh, genetic uh, uh, gene- uh, genetic information to be really transferred between all the animals. And what this happens, what happens really over here is, you know, say, for example, uh, COVID-19 or Ebola, mm-hmm. they live in complete harmony with uh, bats. I mean, bats don't get sick. They have it. They live in harmony. They both live off, off each other. Uh, but what happens is when this spills over into a human being, that's the problem. The human gets really, really sick. And that's what really happens over here. So I had a feeling this is going to be bad. And that's why I went down. My The focus of me going down to um, go down and investigate is really twofold. One is for myself to understand the pandemic more. And secondly, is to really mm-hmm. give information to the public at a firsthand basis. Say, yes, I'm seeing this. These are my concerns, and that's what I think is coming up for the future. So when I went down, I was pretty convinced, uh, you know, it, it was a little scary because, you know, the WHO had tweeted a few, let's say, January 14th, I think, where they said there's no human-to-human mm-hmm. transmission. Uh, my findings were different, and I did say there was mm-hmm. going to be human-to-human transmission. It, it was a little mm-hmm. scary to go up against the WHO. They're a huge giant in the world, but, you know, I had to... I had to give sure. my personal opinion, and I really felt that, you know, there was going to be human-to-human transmission to keep all of us safe around the world to say, hey, this is what's coming. Uh, and I started wearing masks immediately. I think one of the things um, that the United States might have missed a, a trick or so is we didn't endorse wearing masks uh, early in the pandemic, and that could have, uh, you know, caused a lot of spread uh, of COVID-19 at the time. Fascinating. So tell me, as an infectious disease doc, right, why are masks so important in prevention? Can you tell us about that? Absolutely. Let me take it back to to countries like Japan, for example. Uh, It Mm -hmm. is considered impolite if you have a cough or, or upper respiratory tract illness. If you are coming to work without a mask, it's considered uh, inappropriate or disrespectful to people. Merely the fact that if you're having a cough, doesn't matter if it's COVID-19 mm. or a common flu mm-hmm. or common cold. If you have uh, if you have a cough, you should be wearing a mask. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward, and that really is, is a culture because it really prevents infection spreading. And that's this mm-hmm. is going back decades and decades in a lot of parts of Asia. So. We do know it uh, it protects against uh, respiratory viruses. And now for sure, really, uh, like I said, initially we missed a trick or two. We should have recommended uh, universal mask wearing initially. But clearly to me, uh, why I chose a Mask Up Earth campaign was because I realized how important ma- wearing masks are to save lives. I wanted to do something as an infectious disease doctor uh, beyond my uh, beyond my uh, charity towards uh, empowering women, I wanted to do, I, I asked myself, what can I do as an ID physician? Yeah, everyone's masking. 
saying wear masks, wear masks. But beyond that, I said, I got to do something. What's going to happen? What about people who can't afford a mask or what part of the country are you in? Or do you live in the jungle like the indigenous population uh, in the Amazon? I mean, what if you mm-hmm. can't get a mask? And that's how I yeah. formed this this mask up campaign, because it, because it really personally, it saves lives. You wear a mask, you protect yourself and you protect others. It's pretty simple. Wearing a mask saves lives. Wow, huge impact and really with a lot of forethought, right? Thinking with the world, right? Glow in a global perspective of, okay, you know, it's one thing to get a mask, like you said, in, in certain areas and others, you know, it takes a lot of resourcefulness and creativity. Tell me, are there any other best practices from, from overseas that you think Americans or the American or America's healthcare system, right? Would be wise to adopt given uh, what you've seen on the ground? In different places. Absolutely, absolutely. There, there are many countries that have endorsed or embraced a universal mask, uh, mask uh, uh, wearing. That's very important, and that's really one of the. Unfortunately, I, I hate to use the phrase politics, but you know there might be some other factors that are involved in certain people not wearing masks and things of like that. For example, in Indonesia, if you're uh, caught not wearing a mask you are responsible for burying the patient with COVID-19 uh, just because you haven't oh, been wearing a mask. So there are yeah. Yeah, and parts of parts of India, you're caned if you, if you don't wear a mask. There are very severe punitive charges, especially like Italy. Also, the mayor was on the streets. Uh, you know, they charge people thousands of dollars if you're not, if you're found not to wear a mask. So around the world, there are a lot of punitive changes and they've just embraced universal mask wearing. And that's something I feel the United States should be doing as well. I'm not sure about the punitive approach, but certainly endorsing a universal mask wearing um, in the States with this coming season, I think is very important. Thank you. I'm just I'm, I'm processing everything you're saying, and I'm thinking, as you said, the upcoming season. So, given that, um, you know, are you? I'm curious, and, and clearly, the mask up campaign, you know, and past politics are are masks with the upcoming right fall winter. Um, do you anticipate um, masks being in, in short supply? And if so, you know, I know that it, at times the PPE was limited. People were making their own masks. Are you foreseeing that could be a possibility again in, uh, let's say, in the U.S. in come fall, winter, as, as winter approaches, really? Are we already in fall? But yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that could certainly... Yeah. Yeah, that could certainly be a problem. But I think, uh, you know, most of the people understand and you do have the disposable masks, which you wear for a day, the surgical masks, which are, mm-hmm. you know, sold in your convenience store. And a lot of people are actually making masks at home. So it's really, uh, I I really doubt there'll be a huge deficiency like what we had, like, you know, with deficiency sure. of PPE and ventilators. Right. I think people are understanding this. And really, if it comes down to the fact that you just make one at home, they're clear cut, uh, you know, uh, instructions that the CDC has uh, put out. There are many websites which show you the right way to wear a mask. So I don't feel America will be in a problem where we just won't be able to access a mask. It's mostly the foreign countries, uh, of course, that I'm very concerned about. Uh, what areas of the world are you most concerned about as winter approaches in the northern hemisphere? Yeah. At least, yeah, yeah, absolutely. G- a great question, Justina. And really, um, 
we are going to have a lot of cases in Europe and the U.S. That's uh, if I were okay. to take two things out of the equation, I'd probably t- mm-hmm. say Asia will have less cases and Africa mm. won't have that many cases. If I were to take out a couple of continents just off the bat, I think the United States and the northern North America is going to have a lot of cases. We still you know, really haven't come to term with universal masks and lockdowns, things like that, which they've done exceptionally well in Asia. They've just, you know, for example, you can't travel to, you know, um, uh, you can't travel to places like, you know, uh, Thailand, Malaysia. People are dying to go because they, in my opinion, I think Thailand has one of the, some of the best beaches in the world, really. But they, uh, mm-hmm. you know, they're taking a hit. Uh, tourism is very, very big, big in Thai- Thailand. It's one of the most visited yeah. country in the planet. But, you know, they're taking a hit with their economy. But they're saying, you know what, I don't care about the economy. We are going to keep this mm-hmm. country shut, period. They don't want any yeah. sort of foreigners or anything like that. So, I mean, that's huh. they're taking it very seriously. And many Asian countries follow the same thing. Uh like I said, everybody knows to wear a mask, everybody social distances, and everyone uses hand hygiene. So Asia may be a little less at risk, but the high-risk places, I think, are is North America, and we're already starting to see cases uh, in Europe as well, bouncing back. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> which areas of the U.S. are you most concerned about, as, especially as winter approaches, right? <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's a really, really good question. Uh, so we have two situations where uh, we have one situation, which is what we call a peak and valley situation. The other is what's called uh, a second wave. So a second wave happens when uh, some of the states have gone, have really hit their baseline. They've crushed the curve and they've returned to an absolute baseline. And that those are the people. Once they're once the uh, the cases are you know back to a baseline, those are the places that would be called a second wave. So all of a sudden you start seeing jumping in cases. Let's say New York now, that's what's called the second wave because now we're starting to see cases uh, happen all over, all over again, and that's second uh, that's the second wave. Now, however, remember the country still has about forty thousand or anywhere from thirty to forty thousand infections a day. So that mm-hmm. is not touched. Those states don't have a baseline. They're still really, really high. That those numbers are unacceptable. So those are what we call peak and uh, uh, peaks and plateaus. Really, it's going to go up and down. But it's really mm-hmm. hard to say. For me, just off the bat, I think you know people uh, places states where there's high crowding. Uh, New York, in particular, California, lots of crowding. The winter is going to be uh, bringing a lot of people staying at home. So once again, there's more crowding uh, and, and things of like that. We are going to get a lot of cases because now schools are, unfortunately, this is pretty straight up. It's directly proportional. The number of, uh, as, as as states open, the more businesses open, the more schools open, mm-hmm. you're just going to have more and more cases. I'm uh, I'm absolutely convinced of that. That's wherever you're having surging in cases, it's really more and more businesses are opening up, schools are opening up. So that's, uh, that's a tough situation. But uh, highly crowded states and more colder states, I would think, just off the bat, would be uh, a higher risk, uh, higher risk for getting severe state uh, disease. Uh, 
So, you know, and, and that is really interesting dovetailing with, so New York. So what's fascinating is you, uh, you know, you work in New York and Texas, right? So two things, one, um, you know, New York, the crowding a bit more, right? Um, everyone on that, yeah. you know, that island and then, uh, Texas more expansive. Yet tell us about any regional differences in attitudes, even just because those are the two states, right? That you, that you work, um, attitudes and practices. What have you seen in terms of that? New York, uh, great question. two different flavors, right? Yeah. Great, great question. And I have to, unfortunately, uh, get a touch political over here. And Texas is uh, a state which... Uh, You're welcome. You know, no editing uh, No editing needed on this uh, podcast. We welcome. <laughs> no editing. Yeah, no. yeah. No, I just generally uh, yeah, don't like uh, in putting in my political uh, beliefs. But, you know, there, there yeah. are a lot of people over here that just... Don't say they just don't wear masks. It's pretty simple and it's political, unfortunately. And uh, while in New York, it's a complete, it's completely different. I mean, walking out of the house without a mask, you're frowned upon on the streets. So that's one of the mm, big uh, okay. things I see over here. And I feel like a lot of poorer places like we're practicing at the border here in Texas, and just people are just. The, in New York, of course, is a mixed population, but around these sure. certain areas of the border, it's completely a Hispanic population. And this is okay. really is really people tell me this either either I die from COVID nineteen or I die from starvation, and a lot of people tell me I'd rather uh, I, I I don't want to die from starvation. Uh, I have mm. to go to work, and that's very simple. So these areas okay. over here, everybody's going to work now. Compared to New York City, where you have a lot of uh, wealthier people or Caucasian people, where they say, "Well, you want me to? You want a lockdown? That's fine with me. I'll work from home." So they don't right. have those situations where they have to go out and put themselves at risk. Even in New York, all the cases I saw that really most of the cases that were really severe were people who were had to go the, to work, ignored the mm-hmm. lockdown. They had to go to work to put food on the table. Sure. So this is uh, okay. this is what we saw in New York. And really, I feel there are more, more Caucasian people over there who had the option of just staying at home and working from home. That's, that's one of the big factors. Much, much poorer people here in southern Texas. Um, much more, like I said, about 95% uh, Hispanic people. These are also people who have never seen a doctor in their life. You know, young people mm. in their 30s, 40s, mm-hmm. and they don't know they have diabetes. They don't know they have heart disease. They don't realize uh, obesity is a factor. And bang, they come into the hospital. Like all of us say, well, what are the risk factors? And it's right there. High blood pressure, diabetes, uh, high cholesterol. For us, it's right there. We get these blood tests within minutes. And we see, we identify the risk factors and we know that they're at higher risk from getting severe disease. But these people, unfortunately, didn't know that. So that's, uh, mm. that's a big difference, I feel. It's really, um, uh, race doesn't matter in this situation yet. It's really economic. It's this, you know, Absolutely. definitely economic forces here. Definitely. Me, um, yeah. Let's, let's switch gears. You know, tell us about, that fascinating phenomenon, right, that connects the patient's will to live with actual survival. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. And unfortunately, science has been able to prove this, but it's certainly something, you know, doctors see on the bedside and we correlate, uh, we correlate with clinical improvement. And 
it's a lot of times people are really facing death. It's right in their face. And, you mm-hmm. know, I, I hold their hand. I, I talk to them. I tell them, like, encourage them, listen, your family is batting for you. I'm batting for you. you got to push yourself. And really, you don't have an explanation. When the patient wants to fight, a lot of times, you know, we have better outcomes. Like I said, there's no medicine behind it. There's mm-hmm. no science behind it. But really, sure. the patient has got to be willing to fight. And as a physician, I always give that encouraging every day. So like I'll say, hey, you were able to stand for a minute yesterday, but now you're standing without getting short of breath. But now you're standing for two minutes. That's that's awesome. Look, you're moving in the right direction. We got to do this. We got to do this. Keep pushing. Small baby steps, you know, which I'm uh, I'm not going to say you're on a ventilator today, you're going to be off of it tomorrow. I, I'm always realistic, but small, small baby steps. And just, I think, keep sure. fighting. Standing up, standing up for a minute yesterday and standing up to, for a minute today, two minutes today without going short of breath is an accomplishment for me. And that's what we like to reinforce with the patients. And because a lot of times the patients also, unless the doctors tell them, listen, we can, we can beat this, they lose hope as well. So we have to be uh, constantly reinforce, you know, to do this, come on, do this. And, and that really is a big factor. The other thing I feel also is a heavily involved family. Uh, when the mm-hmm. family calls, uh, you know, multiple times a day, and remember, this is very challenging times because patients' families can actually come in to see the patient. So imagine yeah. how hard that is for both the, the patient who's just looking at poor walls the whole day, you know, missing his or her family. And the family mm-hmm. fully worried because they all they hear from a doctor is an update and say, hey, your father is not doing well or he's really mm. hanging or clinging for his life. I mean, I can't even imagine, you know, hearing that about my dad and just not being able to go into the hospital and see him. I mean, it just it's so it's so hard, you know. So I really think it's three three people together, um, healthcare professionals. Uh, patients, families, and of course, patients. So we really have to keep reinforcing it. I really think there are better outcomes uh, when this happens. Well, let's, to, to inspire everyone, can you tell us one, one of your favorite patient survivor stories in the pandemic? Yes, there, there are so many, so many, so many success stories, but uh, probably so one funny. of the best ones I recall is uh you know, a 33-year-old gentleman, uh, Hispanic race, and it was one of the first cases I'd actually seen where, uh, you know, this patient, 31 years old, actually had a stroke because of COVID-19. And mm. I, I must admit, the first time when he came in, I was like, I just asked myself, well, he's going to have some clotting disorder. Why is he coming in uh, with 31? And then I realized very quickly that Yes, COVID-19 causes clotting uh, abnormalities, and he had a stroke because of COVID. Sure enough, we tested him, uh, and he did come up positive for COVID. And he was, I mean, all of a sudden, he couldn't talk. He couldn't, uh, you know, he couldn't do it. He His whole left side was weak. He couldn't talk. I mean, he's really bed-bound. And can you imagine, like, he couldn't even, you know, use his iPhone, and he was just, uh, hmm. I mean, a young person yeah. like that, uh, so young. You know, we take for granted, yeah. but he wasn't able to use social media, you know, his slurry speech, so he couldn't talk to anyone. He was so out. Um, he was so depressed, really. And, you know, to, to and these are the kind of patients we, we, we spend a lot of time with. And, you know, every day we would walk them more and more and uh, speech therapy and uh, physical therapy. And, you know, he, he, 
he didn't get it the first few days. And unfortunately, I'm, it, this is probably going to overlap with our last discussion about reinforcing. And, you know, it, it, for a 31-year-old guy to suddenly not be able to walk, talk, uh, access spatial, mm-hmm. basic social media, yeah. it's one of those same reinforcement things. And, you know, he, he started walking, like, you know, after after about three weeks of intensive physical therapy. I didn't even see when he left, he was going to a rehab facility but about three weeks later he called me and uh, a lot of people the younger people I just introduced myself as Rajiv and uh, I said hey I'm Rajiv I'm your infectious disease physician and I like people to call me in a first name even colleagues at the hospital or students Mm -hmm. or trainees under me I always just say hey just call me Rajiv we're all on the same team to get our patients better and that's it I don't want this uh, you know you don't need oh Dr. Fernando and I, I just think a more collegial level. And so for particularly mm-hmm. with young people, I'm like, hey, how are you feeling, Pablo? Are you feeling better today? And he's like, hey, Rajiv, I feel a lot better. And it just, it was moving that way. And three weeks later, he called me and said he's walking around and he's able to use uh, social media. And uh, I was so happy. Um, he sent us some cookies. Wow. So, yeah, which is respond, which uh, yeah. I, um, is directly responsible for my six pound weight gain. Actually, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, just, uh, oh wow! Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Inspiring. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you, you know, Rajiv, it's loud and clear. You clearly love your chosen work. You know, tell me what. What are your top tips to share with fellow physicians of all levels, right, from med students all the way up to you know, attendings and people in private practice who might be who might be worried or facing burnout, right? Especially during the pandemic, but even apart from the pandemic, just burnout in the field. What What are some tips? Like, how do you keep, um, you know, I mean, what an, what an inspiring success story. And, you know, unfortunately, there are the others who haven't, right? Who haven't quite made it. How do, how do you, um, how do you avoid burnouts? You know, how, how do you still, you know, keep that love and passion for your chosen work? Can you share for the, our listeners who are in the field in healthcare. Of, uh, of course, of course. Uh, firstly, I, I don't think there there are people who haven't quite made it, and I feel you know certain people are more prone to uh, physician burnout. Unfortunately, our like our our female physicians are more prone to physician burnout. Uh, there's a lot of tell us about the, that yeah. in the. Yeah, there, let me start at the very top with female physicians. There's, mm-hmm. there's still a lot of sexism, uh, and female physicians make less money. They're more, okay. they're they actually asked to make, uh, their own decisions a lot of times. They're not supported at a higher, it's very, very painful to, to see this. Um, especially I, you know, I grew up with, uh, my, my younger sister who's, uh, you know, she was an inspiration to me. And I still say my kid sister was, you know, one of my role models because she was just so determined and she works very high, uh, works very high up. Well, very well trained. Uh, there's something in India called Indian Institute of Technology, which is uh, really the best school sure. in the country, one of the best in the world. Yeah. And my sister was like, I think four or five. And someone said, IIT is the best school in India. And she said, I'm going there. Yeah. She didn't even know uh-huh. what engineering was. Yeah. 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 It was always in my family early on. Oh, that's Rajiv. That's Kathy, the smart one. And that's Rajiv, the funny one. <laughs> so <it's laughs> wild, yeah, to, to, to get over that. But yeah, so growing up with two very, 
smart and powerful sisters. I, I still feel, you know, I'm very upset to see that uh, this situation still uh, persists in with female physicians. Uh, they go through so much more. Uh, we have to understand, you know, they they bring up children, uh, they they go into labor, they bring up children. They have so much so much more responsibility, and you know, the industry is only pushing them down further. You know, it's just they're not supporting them enough. And we really need to support our female physicians much better. Interesting. That's an, um, tell me, so, okay, very, very helpful. And, um, tell me what, what in terms of female, male physicians facing burnout, what, um, what do you talk to, you know, from on mental hygiene, right? Um, to kind of combat that burnout. Sure, sure. I, I'm sorry, I failed to mention uh, our original question to me about, you know, avoiding burnout in general. Yeah, I, I really yeah. think the or most, seven, yeah. yeah, sorry to get, yeah, just to get back that's to that. That's okay, no. I that's... really think, uh, I, I really think the most important thing to do is really wholeheartedly love your job. Uh, you mm-hmm. really choose, the, unfortunately, I feel there are a lot of physicians who, you know, choose careers where they say, well, this is where I make the most money. And things okay. of that. And that's gonna, you know, you may have a few thousand dollars more at the end of the first three, four, five, six years. But if you really don't love what you do, it's, um, you know, you're setting yourself up for, for a disaster. Uh, mental mm-hmm. fatigue, just to, like for me, I love, I'm like the first physician <laughs> who gets to the hospital on Monday morning and I'm there bright and early, mm. ready to go. And uh, a lot mm-hmm. of people say, "Why are you? Why are you so happy on a Monday morning? Like, <laughs> uh, did you get? Did you get a lot of coffee or a triple shot of this?" <laughs> for, me, for me, it's uh, it's really just loving what I do, and it's uh, loving the challenge, loving every minute of it, and that's really what uh, you know keeps me going. And you know, it, it's very, it was very hard, and probably will be hard, uh, you know, tackling the pandemic. But really, if you love your uh, your job, I, I think it's very easy. For example, I really get upset or I hate the term when someone says, oh, you're a hero, healthcare. I said, no, I'm not. Like, we're just, we're here. These are our patients. We do this every single day. And we're not heroes just because we treat COVID-19 patients. We're not. It, nothing has really changed. Of course, we, you know, we uh, we have our good days. We have our bad days. And sometimes at work, mm-hmm. uh, I tell my students and residents, I said, that was such an easy day. I shouldn't be paid for today. I mean, I really shouldn't. Uh, but on that's one end of the spectrum where we have our easy days. But we are going to have our tough, complex, challenging days as mm-hmm. well. And I don't think that makes you a superhero any different at all. So really loving your job and loving yourself, I think, is is very important uh, to get you very far in your career. Because if you're not... Uh, then it just became becomes a part of the day. Hey, I had a rough day today, but you know, let's let's keep going. Uh, but if you okay. don't uh, love what you do, that's going to be a really big problem, unfortunately. Okay, so loving what you do, and you you mentioned love loving yourself. So it makes me think of self care, maybe mental hygiene. Tell me tell me some tips for um, for physicians, for healthcare professionals in general to um, you know. To maintain, right? To maintain that level of uh, mental hygiene or self-care so that they really can also care for others. 
sure, absolutely. Um, I think the one one of the most important things I feel uh, for for people in this uh, in this field really is to get proper sleep. That probably is the number one uh, important factor. I feel. You know, you have long days, things like that, but really you need to shut your brain off uh, at some point and really getting your at least six hours of sleep. Of course, in perfect days, we get longer, uh, but your six hours of sleep is very, very important. So make sure you get that, you know, because you're working long hours, long days, and getting your sleep is simply the most important thing. And that's what really keeps me fresh. Because, you know, if we're working and working nonstop, yeah, we work nonstop days, but, you know, make sure you get that six hours of sleep. That's really the single most important thing, I think, for physicians in the field to get that, uh, to get that sleep. Now, a lot of physicians and including myself for a long period of time is we had, you know, our experiences that we have on the day, it goes and we take it along with us into our sleep. And that's actually what something was called COVID dreams, actually, or lockdown dreams uh, for people, the general public, where, you know, they're just they're more vivid. They're more challenging and just uncomfortable uh, situations when you when you sleep at night. And we had that for a while. But, you know, you really have to try to relax. I mean, I think there are a couple of apps where, you know, I, I like to kind of drive by the beach whenever I have time to just like get some waves just in my head, uh, listening to those sounds. Make sure you listen to some relaxing music, uh, things like that before you go to bed. Shut your cell phone down, please, please, please. It's, it's a very, and I'm guilty as well. So, um, you know, I'm trying to, you know, follow everything, you know, COVID all over the world and this patient, that patient. But I really, uh, encourage physicians to really shut their phone down because it's, you're only more productive the following day for your patients that you do more justice for your patients as long as you, you have to take some time off to relax. Otherwise, uh, you're, that's what's one of the things that's going to enhance physician burnout. Healthy eating is very important. Uh, make sure you get lots of fruits and vegetables. Uh, very important. And uh, relaxation. Like, I feel even after work, like, granted, we can't take those long vacations anymore. I haven't taken a vacation in such a long time. But I really think trying to do something fun at the end of the day. Focus on that. You know, do something you like. Whatever you like, whether... Um, whether whatever you like, you want to look up at the stars, you want to do something fun. There's still so many good things you can do beyond like going out to bars and uh, indoor events. Just do something for yourself. Uh, on- online shopping that helps me actually. Um, I love my Louis Vuitton online shopping. Sorry to say that, but uh, it's uh, do something fun that you really really like to do, and that's important. And uh, I'll top off this question with exercise. Um, you know, you really, you really don't have to go to the gym to feel accomplished for the day, but really walking about half an hour a day really improves the blood flow to your brain, carrying more and more oxygen to your brain. And that's help, very helpful as well. So these are some of the pearls I would recommend for healthcare workers and really in general for people who are all over the world who are going through this. Uh, you don't have to be a physician to embrace this, but these are pretty uh, pretty good tips, I feel, that that helped me and have helped a lot of uh, colleagues and friends of mine. Ah, thank you for those golden nuggets. Um, tell me, you know, speaking of those training, right, to enter the medical uh, profession, I know that you work with you have students in academic medicine, it sounds like as well. So any predictions regarding medicine in the future, whether it's 
prospects for specialties, whether it's, you know, telemedicine for, um, you know, for medical school, you know, listeners, you know, people training who are really, you know, thinking through, um, like you said, finding something they love, right? Finding something they they, they love um, being so important. So what what predictions and tips might you have? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, for example, infectious disease is one of the lowest paying specialties uh, in uh, in medicine in this country. So once again, uh, it's just a clear example of, uh, you know, going into something you really feel passionate about and what you love. Mm-hmm. And I think in medical school, people, I, I'm pretty sure by next year, we'll have a lot more people applying for infectious disease because... <laughs> for me, it's really like for me, it's really like a mystery walking up to work every day and try to try to figure things out. And <laughs> really, yeah. the the uh, the the uh, television show house is really based on an infectious disease guy. So a lot yeah. of people ask me, say, "Well, Doctor Fernando, are you going to drill a brain in this hole?" I said, "No, no, no, no. That's fiction. We're not going to be doing that. You know, let's start conservatively." <laughs> conservatively with an MRI of the brain and we'll make some decisions. But yeah, uh-huh. that's based on that. So it's an infectious disease doctor trying to, you know, have uh, trying to figure out mysteries and puzzles. So like I said, don't worry about the money. I think, you know, uh, it's a stable field. I don't think people are, are going to get really rich or anything like that the way things are right now. But you'll, you'll be okay. You'll still be able to, you know, have a house, good lifestyle, things like that. So really follow your dreams and what you like. Uh, with regards to to uh, telemedicine, I really think it's the future of medicine. Uh, they're going to be, especially this is this whole thing is and this whole pandemic is enlightened people where, you know, they just don't want to leave their house. They don't want to. Hospitals and offices can be viewed as potential sites of infection, or could I go to the doctor's office and get COVID nineteen, or go to a hospital? So even people who are having chest pain or heart attacks, I remember. You know, they just didn't want to go to the hospital. They said, you know, I have chest pain. Uh, I could have a little heart attack, but I don't want to go to the hospital and pick up COVID-19. So this has really been a, a game changer. Uh, and that's why I think telemedicine is really here to stay. And it's really, really going to get big in the future. Uh, people have the uh, the convenience of, um, you know, talking from their own homes, even a physician. You know, it's uh, they can just work from home. It's something that we've never had before. Uh, save that travel time, maybe an hour to the hospital, an hour back. So you have like extra time to work with. And uh, I really think it's the future of medicine. Even critical care, I think, in a few years, would, can really be managed on the phone uh, over a Zoom call and things like that. So stay tuned for this because it's really, really going to become big in in the in the years to follow. Absolutely convinced of that. That's interesting. So that lends itself to another question, an impromptu question for me, and that is this, that um, if, you know, given your, you know, your belief that telemedicine will, this is just the beginning, right, that it will will continue to grow and grow and even encompass, like you said, you know, uh, critical care and um, those areas that one thinks are less, right, less amenable to to a telemedicine. What um, do you think that also opens up then, and this actually touches on what we spoke of before with respect to um, medical students and specialties and all, you know, in the, um, the opens up medicine to more of like a global playing field in that, you know, if someone can, you know, how some people might say, okay, I can get medicines from 
the U.S. or I can get medicines from another country, name it, right? Um, India, Mexico, what have you, at, at, at a fraction of the cost. Do you think that also opens up medical services in that sense to, okay, you know, I can have a highly trained physician in the U.S., but there's also highly trained physician in, you know, name the country, whatever. Um, and so maybe I could get my, tel- instead of calling the number here, I can call the number there. Do you think that is something for the future as well in terms of making medicine more of a global practice as opposed to... Yeah, that that is interesting. That's a really excellent question. I don't think too many people have touched upon that uh, uh, situation, but that is a really excellent question. And really, to put that in perspective, I I do a lot of international consults as well. um, You know, around the world, really. For I've done some for South Korea. I've done some for for England. a lot, a couple of other places in Asia and uh, okay. India as well. So, yeah, it's a, really a Zoom, whether you're doing a Zoom call uh, within uh, within the states or really across the planet, it really does make a difference. So, I think uh, that's a very nice point that you bring up, and I really think uh, it will go across the world. Uh, healthcare for U.S. Uh, MDs are very highly respected around the world. And, you know, it may come yeah. to a day where they say, hey, I want it. Let me get a cons- uh, consult or consultation from one of the American physicians. So that certainly would uh, would uh, really uh, would really be very valuable. Or I can get a consult from someone in Brazil where they say, hey, listen, you know, what do you think about this case? And I really like I've always maintained uh, that there should be like a global approach to fighting this pandemic, which I really haven't seen happen. But uh, these these new um, these new telemedicine or Zoom calls are really going to change medicine forever. Interesting. Tell me. Um, okay, so I'm going to switch gears to the um, to the uh, to the personal front for a minute, and so you know, I've noticed, right, that you know we've worked with lots of female and male physicians over the years, and um, ranging from you know, medical students to attending private practitioners, people beginning practice, people at the top of their game, and I've had the privilege of speaking at various physician conferences about relationships dating over the years. I've noticed the general pattern that I'm hoping you might share your perspective on just, you know, as a male physician. And now, as I learned that has, you know, female, you know, sisters um, as well, but as a male physician, why do you think I've noticed something interesting and I would love your, your candid, right? Your own impressions of this. Why do you think more female physicians than male physicians prefer life partners who share their same profession, right? So you've got more women who are saying, oh, I'm in medicine. I prefer a man who's in medicine too, versus you don't have as many male physicians saying, well, I'm in medicine and I'd like my partner to be in medicine as well. Just, I'm curious, just curious what, I mean, this is kind of off the cuff, but what are, what are your kind of, what would you surmise? What would you guess just based on being in the profession? Yeah, that that is a, a very good question. And I think like we had mentioned before, um, female physicians, uh, you know, there's a lot of sexism. They go through a lot, uh, very different situations uh, uh, from others, but they, there's a lot of sexism that arises. And in my opinion, or my data review actually says there's, uh, you know, about a 30 to 35% decrease in pay salary also for, for female physicians. 
So a, a female, and I, like I mentioned, their female physicians are often asked to bat for themselves, to get themselves ahead. And I, I really think that their work obviously stands up for themselves. They're amazing at what they do, but they have these compromising factors, which really, unfortunately, brings them down. And I think in that situation, they really look to someone of a similar background uh, in the same field to say, you know, to kind of bridge things together. And it's really, I feel some of these factors are really uh, what we just discussed right now. So I feel that these factors actually all the more encourage uh, female physicians to be with male physicians so that they understand what the female physician is going through. Now, for example, with me, I, it's all about equality, but I do, I'm smart enough to recognize that, you know, female physicians make up to 30% uh, less than male physicians. Leadership uh, positions are are less. So I really think, and it really comes down to the, the to the personality of the male physician as well. You know, are they able to to put themselves in the in a shoe in the shoes of a female physician to to understand what they're going through. So and the other thing which really makes me nauseous is a lot of patients also they look at a female physician and say, oh, you're my nurse for the day, or you know, you're this or that, and it just it's so hard for people to even say, oh, my my physician is female. I mean, these are really real life problems that I see every day in my in my practice. So that's why I think uh, they really look upon look upon male physicians to uh, and as long as the male physician is very understanding, loving and caring, they're able to see that female physicians are compromised at their work and I think that's one of the reasons um female physicians like to be with male physicians. That's interesting. Why do you think lesser male physicians are seeking to be with female physicians? I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'm just curious. I just don't worry about it. Uh, Don't worry about it. One of my one of my shows when I was a talk show host in India was uh, we used to call it Red Hot Madras Night. So I was put in this. It was the midnight show actually. So people will call would call in for a lot. So don't worry. Yeah, yeah, don't worry. Interesting. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's another I'm show pretty, we'll have to have you on for. That's interesting. Oh, of course, okay. of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so, you know, what's so interesting, I unfortunately feel there are a lot of men out there who, you know, they can't handle the power woman. And this is what I've noticed. Uh, they just, like for me, if I see a power woman, it's like, hey, great, let's hold hands, let's move forward together and let's do this. It's mm-hmm. quite straightforward, sure. right? But there are a mm-hmm. lot of male physicians. Once again, this, uh, as we just discussed a couple of minutes ago, uh, with a lot of males don't want to do that. They they just look at someone as a threat to say, oh my God, she's well, she has a higher position than me. She's doing this. She's doing that. And a lot of males may be intimidated by by female physicians. That's what I feel. I mean, just off the bat, if you were to the way you pose these questions, and I I think a lot of male physicians may just maybe uh, uh maybe uh, feeling this this inside uh that's one of the things and i also think some people you know some males say well you know what i'm going through this very hectic lifestyle i'd like to be with someone who doesn't have this kind of a lifestyle so mm-hmm. those mm-hmm. are some of the yeah. uh, things that I, I really think is what why male physicians just uh it could be some sort of a complex which is certainly possible and the other thing, where which is like, oh, the woman is better than me and all this nonsense which shouldn't be existing. And the other is sometimes male physicians say, you know what, I'm doing this on my own. I've seen enough. I don't want my wife to be 
you know, in the same boat as well. You know, we're we're going to be bringing up kids together. And if she has a crazy mm-hmm. life and I have a crazy schedule, you know, how is it going to work? And I think these are some of the feature, uh, reasons I feel this way. Interesting. Are you, let me ask a question. Do you see more male nurses entering and entering the profession of nursing or no? Is that happening or not in terms of traditionally nursing has been female? So you are seeing more male nurses. Yeah, that is happening. Yeah, yeah, a lot more. I mean, the whole tradition, of course, we had Florence Nightingale bring things out. But the whole, I can't tell you the number of male nurses I know where they conclusively say, I don't want to be a doctor. And people actually ask these nurses and they say, why did you do medical school? Because you're a guy. And the Mm -hmm. answer is very very common where they say, you know, I prefer bedside patient care to be with the patient every minute. Unlike doctors aren't. We round, we leave. Mm-hmm. But many nurses sure. say, I just want to be uh, by the patient bedside all day long. And so, you know, that that is uh, that is one of the reasons I feel. And uh, there are many, many more male nurses um, entering the field right now. Well, then let me ask you this question. And this is now that more male nurses and and I, I, females, right, are entering the field at a higher rate, I believe, too, in terms of medicine, um, in terms of physicians, right? So if there are more male nurses and more female physicians entering the profession, do you think, and this is just because you are on the ground, you are seeing the dynamics all the way from med students all the way to, you know, fellow attendings. Do you think female physicians and male nurses, what do you think of that? of partnering that way, um, do, do you, I mean, what do you think? Like, what off the cuff, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, lots of pros and cons, I'm sure. But um, tell me, do you think that's something? Because you seem very uh, forward-thinking in terms of telemedicine, in terms of looking in China in January 2019 and saying, nope, this is going to get bad, right? Do you seem to be, you know, have those predictions that that are pretty pretty interesting and amazing? So what do you think of this, the female physicians and the um, male nurses? Do you think that's something that in the future, kind of the way in the past, I think a lot of people thought, you know, female nurses and male physicians have partnered. Tell me, what do you think? Absolutely. uh, You know, for me, love knows no barriers, right? You can't Mm -hmm. control who you fall in love with, whether you're a male doctor and a female nurse or a female uh, physician sure. and a male nurse. It, it really knows yeah. no boundaries. I mean, I do foresee that. I'm going to, this may be, uh, sorry to sound, uh, uh, to put a little. Uh, no editing. Remember, right here. no editing. <laughs> no yeah, editing. yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. The, uh, the thing is, you know, unfortunately, off late over the last few years, and I regret to say this, I don't want to put an arrow in, you know, our romance conversation right now. But there are a lot of, um, you know, sexual harassment cases which have come about. Sure. Absolutely. And really in the movement. Uh, and yeah, yeah, exactly. And I think that's completely appropriate. But now there are a lot of clauses when you sign a contract at the hospital. Let's say, for example, I uh, have to do a sexual harassment course every day, every year. Not every day. That'll be, okay. that'll be every insane. day. Well, every year. <laughs> right. No, no, no. Daily. Okay. <laughs> no, no, no. Just kidding. Every okay. year we have to do that. And just off the bat, it's a clear cut. Um, you shouldn't be doing this, which is as a supervisor, you shouldn't be mm-hmm. asking if you ask someone out who is below your position, 
you know, that can be viewed as harassment. The person below can yeah. say, well, I didn't want to go on to this person, you know, but mm-hmm. I was scared that she's ahead of me, that uh, this, you know, she would fire me and things of that. And that's applicable for male physicians and female nurses and vice versa. Sure. Unfortunately, right. this is either way. Yeah. And it's, I don't, I, I love Cupid, but you know, this is a situation where, which is real right now. And like, you know, people mm-hmm. have to mm-hmm. be really, really cautious about uh, if you're a supervisory role, you really have to be cautious about who you're asking out. It's very sad. I mean, like I said, love knows no sure. barriers. But this is a legitimate thing that hospitals all over the country mm-hmm. are asking for. So it's kind of put a dent in that situation. But I don't know. Yeah. It's just uh, just so that, you know, I've always been a forward thinker. And one thing mm-hmm. which I think could be used in the future is, you know, just writing a, 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 an email with, you know, some consent to say, I am uh, I'm in I know this person. I'm interested in this person. And this is completely consensual. Thinking ahead, mm-hmm. I don't think it's been employed so far, but I think as long as you have some sort of thing which says, hey, yeah, it's in writing, you know, you know about this and this is completely consensual. And if it's in writing, I mean, that's something which I think should in the future, because it's really sad to, you know, break up love because of the, of these few cases of sexual harassment. And I don't know the exact numbers. Of course, it's happening out there, but you know, love happens all the time, every corner, every day, every minute. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think this might be a way out. And this is obviously not data uh, driven or anything of like that. But, you know, thinking ahead, like sure. if you really love someone and you want to be with someone to, in order to mitigate this possibility of, you know, administration mm-hmm. coming down at you, things of like that. I think sure. this might be a reasonable approach for the future. Okay. Okay. But I was, and, and that's very interesting. And it's a great, um, insight with respect to the whole Me Too movement and how that, and, and just in general, sexual harassment, which has, which has been there, right, for, for, for quite a while. Um, the, the whole, you know, but do you think there, in terms of the dynamic, just a female male dynamics, right? So that kind of thing, um, do you, uh, I'm just curious. Do you think, you know, do you, do you think putting aside right sexual harassment and the and the power, um, you know, the, any potential right supervisory issues there? Um, okay, any any anything there with just the idea of the you know different the different fields um, and someone you know for male who happens to be a nurse and a female who happens to be a doctor and you know. Do you see anything coming in the way of that or, or do you know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah, yeah. as a, as a a male physician, right. That's what I mean. As a male physician. Yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I just, I think everything is okay, but unfortunately, really, the, you know, when you work in these bigger places, administration probably mm-hmm. takes a, yeah. a very aggressive okay. role. And I'm going to be honest with you, sure. like to all our listeners also, it, it's a beautiful feeling to be in love, but I, I really warn people to really be cognizant of this policy. The last thing you want sure. is like, you know, you've oh, been in yeah. training for, right. for 20 years and you've been working for 20 years to get to where you are. And, you know, one of these things can backfire and you and it's all over, you know, so. Yeah, with you know, something uh, like that. Right. Yeah, no, no. One yeah, has to be yeah. very careful about that. Right. I was more yeah, thinking it doesn't yeah. even have to be in the same workplace. Right. Just a concept. It doesn't even have to be in the workplace. I mean, just it could be too different. Right. But um, it's just um, they don't even have to work in the same institution. I just meant the whole concept of that profession and that. Profession. Oh, I think that, yeah, that's that, beautiful. Yeah, forget the same uh, industry, but, no, I mean, no. the same institution. It, 
it, you know, I want to take that aside and just the, the idea of a, you know, cause they're different personality types, right. And they're different. Um, and nowadays you have um, families where sometimes the dads are more hands-on with the kids. Sometimes the moms are right. So that whole idea in terms of, um, in terms of that. So, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Anything more or not on that? So. Oh. Uh, no, I just I think it's a beautiful thing, and uh, really, if uh, you know, once again, your your a lot of relationships uh, are happening in the hospital because, you know what, uh, uh, we're all in the hospital the whole day, you know, and it's uh, you sure. know you see someone sure. attractive, you, yeah. you share a good collegiality, yeah. you manage patients together, it it, just, it really bonds relationships. So I. Yeah. You know, I have wonderful relationships uh, in the hospital. It's just uh, we all get along so nicely. And it's uh, it's really like coming home, honestly. Like, honestly, when I come to work, like I said, I'm the happiest. And uh, so I certainly yeah. think it's, it's uh, you know, as long as all of that uh, is satisfied, those criteria are satisfied, sure. I think it's a it's a beautiful idea. And like you said, uh, many, many more nurses, male nurses on the field, I don't know whether Meet the Fockers, uh, the Ben Stiller movie where he was a nurse. I'm not sure if that's influenced those <laughs> yeah. changes or anything like uh-huh. that. But being a male nurse is, uh, is, is really amazing. And I've met some brilliant, brilliant male nurses in my career. So thank you for uh, insightful on many different levels. So diverse. And sure. I'm wondering if you'd like to share your charity's um, Chiraj's website with our, with our listeners so they can take a look at some of the, um, you know, great initiatives yeah. that you've been yeah, involved in. Absolutely. So it's a C H I R A J Chiraj. It really tells us, uh, tells everyone about, you know, the different places we go. I advise uh, listeners not to look for the donation. It's really a self-funded charity by myself. So please don't look for a donate uh, uh, sign there. Uh, Just your support is important to me. Um, You know, spread the word. Not even spread spread the the word. word Okay. uh, That's how everyone can help by spreading the word. Okay. Great. And uh, your listeners can email me uh, uh, or go to the website and drop a question or anything that I'll send out free masks for them or wherever they are just as long as they they don't have any or the community needs some just uh, drop us a line and like i said we're we're actually just sending stuff to russia also right now actually you know uh so uh we're all human beings and we shouldn't be thinking about you know cold wars and this and that and espionage it's really coming down to saving lives so it really doesn't matter which part of earth uh you're you're in i mean we send masks even we're probably going to do some we're uh, in China as well. We're starting to get some contacts there. So it doesn't matter about these global superpower things and all that. Uh, human beings are human beings. And, you know, wherever we can send our masks, it's it's very helpful. So thank you all for your support. How inspiring. And thank you. Thank you, uh, Rajiv. Really appreciate your sharing your valuable insights and generosity with us and for our listeners. In case you joined us late or would like to share this show with people in your life, I'd like to remind you that today's radio show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. Have a great day, everyone. Take care. Try as I may, I could never